look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. Interesting week. Oh, man, they're always interesting, are they? It's interesting with all the headlines coming out. We're going to talk about headlines in a minute. Yeah. I want to talk about that for sure because it's been lots of interesting conversation. Okay. I'm gonna, you and I have I think it. we should talk about <clears throat> how the media pushes out uh, a headline or even an article. Mm-hmm. And the reaction of an investor based on that article. Right. And given the nature of the headlines, if you're selling newspaper, what's the nature of that headline? They're sensationalized. Do people still sell newspapers? Whatever. Okay. Just just, just dating like, yourself. That's all I'm doing. True. I'm an old... Take out your eight track. <laughs> hey, don't <laughs> judge. It still works just fine. <laughs> Jeez, in my VHS. Just fine, thank you. Okay. <laughs> that, you're still on beta. You're not even on VHS. <laughs> yeah, <I do. laughs> But the point is, it's sensationalized. <laughs> it is. And that's in any type of medium. Right. Either you know, TV, radio, print, on the internet, right. whatever it is. If it doesn't catch your attention right off the get-go, you're not going to read it or watch it. And it's, get, it's it. getting more and more like that with all this newfangled media that you're all attuned to. You're all. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's becoming shorter clips, right? So this notion of infotainment sensationalization has to, is part of the way it's communicated now. It better be quick, fast, give the information in 15 seconds and you're out. So let's talk about the impact of that on investors, because that's important. Which is interesting, because today our show, we've got a couple of guests on here talking about the different parts when it comes to retirement. One, we'll talk to Benjamin Tall, who's our, our uh, chief economist, our deputy chief economist at CIBC, yep. talking about the economy here, United States, change in taxes possibly coming to Canada. Yep. Political issues in the in the states. We've got an election in less than fifty days. Um, yeah, how's that going to impact everything? Right. Yeah, the economic environment it sounds good. We're also going to talk about um, retirement. So we've got a um, a great writer. So, so retirement's a journey. We often talk about that, and yep. there's a story to every journey, right? And the question is, can we learn from something? Can we learn stuff from people that have been through the journey or ahead of us in the journey. And absolutely, doesn't, I'm not talking about retirement here. We can learn lots of things about people that have been there and done it. Yeah, right? she's coming out and saying, don't believe what they tell you about retirement. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> dun, Find dun, out dun, what dun. we shouldn't believe, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be a, a, a great conversation with her. Okay. But let's go back to this whole media thing. Okay, yeah. so let me, let me paint the picture for you, Mr. Popovich. Article comes out in whatever news syndication, and it says... Um, Climate change is going to destroy the entire economy. You read through the article, it talks about the case of climate change. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you could literally read this article, Dave, and it comes out saying, your investments are doomed. Everything. Zero. Everything is zero. Like, your, your investments are doomed if you do not act. Right. Okay. So I'm reading this article, and I'm like, wow, wow, mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting. And you and I had a conversation last weekend. Mm-hmm. We were sitting at your place, and I said, I, to understand what's really going on, let's say about, about the politics in the United States, I listened to and watched two polarizing TV stations, mm-hmm. 
to see the differences in how they present, what they're talking about, their content, and yep. so forth. What I've been trained in over my years is to how to think about a certain issue. So let's go back to this, this article on climate change. If you just take what the article says, you'd sell everything out of your portfolio, you'd go to cash, you'd hide, hide in a bunker and... Was cash going to be good in under that scenario? It, it didn't say anything about cash <laughs> okay. in the article. It said everything else was good. You mean doomed. fiat currencies are going to survive? Wow, okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what I think our listeners need to kind of have an opportunity to try is grab an article, a news piece, something on social media, whatever it may be, and put it on your table. Literally put it on your table. No, no, I'm going to add to that. I want to add to that as part of the exercise. Make sure it's something that you have a very real emotional reaction to. Good point. Okay. Even better. Yeah. So you have its emotional reaction. You put it on your table or through your device or on, you've printed it or whatever it may be. And now you have to go through a process from a rational side. First, digest the emotional side of things. And then let's go to the rational right. side of things. Of, well, how, do you, how do you critique this? What's the critical thinking process you can do? And here's, here's some ideas that I've learned in my years of managing money. One, you take that piece of information and you go and find credible sources that support that thesis. That's the first thing you do. Mm -hmm. So you've now building up this, okay, oh my God, you know what's going to hit the You've a library of knowledge, understanding what the, yeah, yeah, the problem I, I is. I believe that this could be true. Okay, yep. Then you have to stretch your mind after you've had that exercise and go to the total opposite side and find credible sources that say it's not true. Right. And read everything. And you will find both sides. There's no question. On every topic. Everything. Yep. So now you've got both sides. Now you actually have been given the pros and cons yep. of that issue. Right. Now you can make a decision on how you'd like to proceed. You cannot say it's absolutely impossible most of the time. It could happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to assign a probability of it happening. What happens with most people when they read or hear or see something, their emotional reaction is to act based on that one piece of information. Right. And they do not take the time to digest the emotion and then go to, the pros and cons of that issue. There are people who believe that climate change will wipe out this world and you'll be left with nothing. And there are people who believe, who believe that we are in a society that we will adjust accordingly as we have through everything in, in history. And so it's not going to be the end of the world. It's going to be a different world. That's all. Well, no, the other polar opposite is people that it's not happening. Oh, that is, yeah. Yeah. That it's not even occurring. Right. Okay. Then there's some middle ground somewhere. Somewhere in there. Right. Yeah. So you're getting these two <clears throat> polarized viewpoints. You're getting other data and facts. Then you can make a decision is what do I do with my life and my financial situation? Yeah. Okay. So I, I think this is a really cool exercise. Um, and that's for one issue, right? So take one that's really emotional to you. And as a critical thinking exercise, follow what, what Faisal just outlined. Okay. And then do that again for another issue. And then do it for another issue, right? And you'll get better and better at it. But then recognize the probability is a really important one. There is no binary outcome. There is no one thing. I Maybe mean, if an asteroid hit the earth and, you know, 
wiped us all out. Maybe that's the case. But in the absence of <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, okay, no, you're right. uh, in the absence of that, it's <laughs> highly unlikely that it is binary in its outcome. Too much sci-fi. Right, too much sci-fi. Far too much weird stuff, for sure. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it does speak to this notion that the bookends can be very wide. It can be from the extinction-level event on the one hand, to there's absolutely nothing wrong yeah. on the other hand, and the truth is often in the middle there. So find out what your truth is and where that middle is, and then you just you allocate appropriately, right? So if I put a probability to it, so this something might happen, what, what's my probability? And I'll, okay, I'm going to invest a portion of my portfolio on whatever that outcome, your conclusion is on that outcome. Yeah. And then whatever the next one is, if it's the U.S. election, what's the outcome? Here's how I want to invest or protect, right? And you do that for a series of things, and ultimately you get a portfolio. Yeah, and keep in mind, it can't just be one issue that you're putting your entire portfolio No, exactly. That's why I'm saying, right? So you, when, you, when you say go to three or four or five, maybe even ten different issues right. Right. that have an emotional reaction to, you kind of get an idea that there's a lot more stuff in this world going on, yeah. and you cannot have only one solution for it. Right. That's why I say it's not a it will never be a binary outcome. There yeah. isn't one thing that will always happen that will do this. Right. And that's the hard part for it. And so we've learned this over time. Yeah. And we've learned how to invest in a strategy that no matter what the political, economic or any other issue comes up, these five pillars are five pillar investment strategy. Yeah. Allows us to weather that storm, profit and protect. And we've been talking about this now for over a decade. Right. On the air. And. We would like to share that with the rest of our audience, and, and you're welcome to join us on our next webinar to learn more about this on Tuesday, September 22nd, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Now, because we're good guys and because we're asking you to do some critical thinking exercises on some of the big issues, you know what we're going to do in the next segment? We're going to have Benjamin Tall join us, who's the Deputy Chief Economist, to help identify what some of those critical areas are that could affect your retirement. So stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, in the first segment, we were talking about critical thinking and understanding the big issues, understanding the potential outcomes. Correct. We've got a terrific guest to help us understand what some of those key issues are today. That's Benjamin Tall. He's a deputy chief economist at CIBC. Benny, thanks. Uh, welcome back to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. A pleasure. Okay, so we've got lots of people that are concerned about all a myriad of headline risk that they see out there today. Maybe you could just um, give us your thoughts on the big issues that you've got your eye on right now. Yes, of course, you cannot talk about the market, you cannot talk about the economy without talking about uh, the virus and the trajectory of the virus. So I'm really focusing uh, my attention on what's reasonable to expect. Now, we have basically three models, if you wish. One is uh, countries that continue the first wave or deep into the second wave. Uh, that's basically the U.S., Spain, and some emerging markets. The second uh, model, if you wish, is uh, very early stages of a second wave. That's Canada and most of Europe. And the third one, which is the most interesting one, is late um, second cycle or second wave. And that's uh, Australia, Japan, uh, South Korea, because we can learn a lot from what they are going through. And what we have seen in the case of Australia, or South Korea, Japan, is that you can really bring this second wave down dramatically 
in terms of the infection rate without closing down the economy dramatically. Uh, uh, so if we can implement what Australia is doing now, we can basically continue to function at a reasonable rate while defeating uh, the virus until uh, we get the vaccine. So that's more or less where we are now. Now, let's face it. All of us know that the summer was the honeymoon period. This was a break, if you wish, and yeah. now it's back to reality. So I suspect that after a 40% GDP growth in the second quarter, uh, in the third quarter, we are going to get a relatively muted winter, and we know the story. We will have a second wave. We will have the flu season um, overlapping with the virus. So we will have a lot of confusion between now and a vaccine, which I don't see until the spring, May, June. So we have a, a long period of time that we still have to live with this um, virus and some softening in economic activity over the next uh, six months or so. That's the way I look at the situation from a virus perspective. Okay. I mean, that's obviously the biggest one on their mind, and it's it's uncertain as to the path, but I think you know those models outline the uncertainty in the different stages for different countries. Yeah, and and Benny, do you do you see the governments provincially and federally in this country following similar models to South Korea, Australia, and Japan, or are we looking at because the fear out there is mm. another shutdown, a complete shutdown of the entire economy? Yes, uh, you know what? Uh, we have learned a lot uh, over the past uh, few months. We know more or less how to live with this virus. We understand the importance of wearing masks and all this business. So I think if you look at uh, Australia, South Korea, um, Japan, they were basically were able to reduce the infection rate dramatically in the second wave while cutting activity by only 30 or 40% relative to what we have seen in March and April, which means that we can do that. We can do that. The issue, of course, is not just opening up. The issue is the fear factor. I think that uh, during the summer days, the fear factor was not dominating. The opening up factor was more available and therefore, you know, contributed to economic growth. I think that the fear factor will take over. So despite the fact that the restaurant will be available and open, people will not go there. And we will see it more and more in the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year. So slowly, the fear factor will be more dominating as opposed to what we have seen in the early stages of this recovery where the economy is opening up and GDP growth is at 40% on an annual basis. Benny, can, can we afford to shut the economy down again? Is that actually um, is that a path we could follow? Well, we see some countries that are now doing it to an extent, including schools and uh, so far. I don't know. I think we cannot do that, and I don't think there is a need to do so, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, overall, um, the situation suggests that we can function with this virus if we do it in a, in a, in a reasonable way. Other countries went from one extreme to another. When they shut down, they shut down, and when they open up, they open up. So far, it seems that Canada is moving in the right way, and therefore I suggest that we will be able to maintain a reasonable 
level of economic activity, namely a 2, 3, 4% GDP growth, without shutting down the economy and without seeing a significant spike in the infection rate. I think it's doable, quite frankly. On that particular note, then, is there, is there more support that is required from governments and central banks in order to maintain that growth rate, or have we seen the end of that? I think we need the same support for longer. That's, I think, what we're going to see. I think that, uh, as you know, the Bank of Canada and the Fed, they are everywhere. They are in the repo market. They are in the BA market. Uh, they are, of course, in corporate uh, um, debt, uh, provincial mm-hmm. debt, and, of course, government debt. They might uh, scale down quantitative easing from $5 billion a week to $3 billion a week because, let's face it, the Bank of Canada is now uh, controlling mm-hmm. 32% of the bond market, 32%. At this rate, by the end of 2021, they will have 50% of the market. That's not very healthy. Right. To compare, the Fed owns only 21% of the market, so we are more than the Fed. So therefore, they will scale it down. But clearly, government uh, support is needed. The Bank of Canada will be there. Interest rates will remain low. I don't think that interest rates will be rising until 2023. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly, fiscal policy will be there with the CRB replacing CERB, weight subsidies becoming more relevant. So I think, yes, it can be done, not to add to it, but keep it longer. Right. Benny, we have about a minute left before we have to go to commercial break. Um, do you still see more fiscal stimulus? Do you see more CERB, more other kind of emergency programs out there, but maybe phasing out? Like, what's What does the model look like from your perspective? I think that the, the CRB will replace CERB, of course, and that's a good program because it's a more inviting in terms of uh, the propensity to go back to work because it's uh, structured differently. And I think that's a very good um, way to proceed. I think that wage subsidies will become a bit more relevant and uh, they will be utilized a bit more. That's another positive. And then we have to remember, two-thirds of the economy are in already a V-shaped recovery. Mm. One-third is stuck in this L-shaped recovery. And they will continue to remain at this kind of level of activity. We will not see a recovery there. So therefore... From this point forward, the government should be much more pointed, focused on the assistance to make sure that the people who need it get it. Okay. Um, Can we go to commercial break a little bit? Yeah, early? I've got lots of, lots of questions left. We've got to talk about how you, taxes are going up because of all this. Yep. And, we and have, universal basic income. And, well, let's, let's, first of all, let's remind everybody about our upcoming seminar. Yeah. Right. Because there's a big headline risk that I want to talk about in just a second, and we'll we'll address it in the next section. So we are going to address this and other issues that come up when you're transitioning to or living in retirement. You, if you want to join us for our webinar, it's on Tuesday, September 22nd, 7 p.m. live online. You need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Is your retirement in Canada at risk because of the outcome of the presidential election in November? So let's talk about a Biden versus Trump win after the break here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Benjamin Tall is our guest today. He's the deputy, uh, deputy chief economist at CIBC. Uh, been with us for one segment already. And Benny, uh, thanks for sticking around. We've got lots of questions here still, but one of the big ones that were, one of the big conversations, questions we get from clients all the time is what happens 
uh, given whatever the outcome might be in the in the U.S. presidential race. If Biden wins, is that bad for Canada or good for Canada? If Trump wins, what's better for Canada and the global economy? Can you address that for us? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, going to be very interesting. First of all, what I'm losing sleep over is not even the election results. It's the process. Yeah. It is not unthinkable that you will see a situation in which there is no clear winner. And you can get into this chaotic window of a few months in which nobody knows anything. The market will not like it. Second, which is very interesting, uh, and I think that some of the, your listeners uh, are aware of that, Republicans, uh, in, on average, are more willing to go physically and vote. Well, Democrats, about 50% of Democrats are telling you we are, we are not going physically to vote because of the yeah. uh, virus. We are going to send it by mail. This means that early results will show that actually uh, Trump is winning. Yeah. The exit polls that you get on CNN you know, in, on, the mid, on midnight, they might show that Trump is leading or winning, but this will be a biased sample. But that can really impact the psyche of everything. And then are you going to vote the male, uh, uh, um, you know, data? It's going to be very complicated and a week of chaos. So this is one of the nightmare scenarios. It's going to be a close call. Now, what it means, if you have a Biden uh, victory, the market will not like it. Let's face it. The market will not like it because Biden is talking about raising taxes, roughly 31 trillion dollars. This is about 5% of corporate earnings in the U.S. down. So the market will not like it. It's clearly negative for uh, uh, energy. It's positive for the environment. Uh, It's definitely negative for financials because banks in the U.S. are the only ones that actually pay the full corporate rate tax. And also it's uh, negative from a regulation perspective. So all those forces are negative for the market. If you have a Trump victory, I'm not sure that the market will rally dramatically. Maybe from a short period of time it will, uh, but at the same time, remember, there will be one thing and a big thing that Trump will be focusing on, and that will be trade. Mm-hmm. So far, he has been very gentle on China. And I think that if he have a second term, he will take the gloves off and will go after China big time because that was the premise of his elections four years ago. So I think that uh, this uh, Cold War slash trade war with China that will escalate might be actually negative for the psyche of the market. So I think that it's going to be very interesting over the next few months after the elections and even before. So Benny, uh, other topics that are coming up in regards to the economy is this concept of taxation here in Canada with all this money being uh, printed and uh, and stimulated in the economy, I think is just to pre- preserve the economy, not even stimulate the economy. Um, taxes have to go up at some point, and we're hearing and we're seeing more and more articles in the newspapers, those major publications talking about taxes on your house or a wealth tax or bring on the an increase in GST or whatever. What 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 are your thoughts about about a tax increase coming? Yes. So first of all, we have to remember, and you're absolutely right, that we are not stimulating the economy. The money that the government is spending and the Bank of Canada is printing is basically replacing income. And as you know, maybe we're replacing income too much. This is the first recession ever that they saw disposable income in Canada actually rising. So you have more government money 
being injected into the economy than income loss in the labor market. So that's something that we have to fix. And I hope that the CRB, the new program, and the more inclusive EI system will fix it because, yes, it's good and important to support, but at the same time, we cannot afford wasting money and giving money to people that really don't need that. That's one thing. Second, we know that the starting point fiscally was relatively good. The debt-to-GDP ratio went from 30 to 50%, which is not great, but it's better than any other OECD country that we have seen. The U.S. just started the crisis at 50%. We are at 50% of uh, debt-to-GDP now. So we are clearly in a better position. So if you look at the overall situation, uh, clearly Canada started this crisis from a very good fiscal position. Our debt-to-GDP ratio uh, was down was up from 30% to 50%. In the U.S., the starting point was 50%. What I'm saying here is that it's not optimal by any stretch of the imagination, but there is no urgency to raise taxes or cut spending in a significant way. We have to remember that uh, despite the fact that the debt level is rising, interest payments on our debt last year, in fact, went down by 4%. And that's something that we have to take into account. So overall, it means that the government can afford slowing down, reduce spending without really raising taxes in a very significant way. There is no need to balance the budget tomorrow. I agree that Long term, we might see some increase in taxes, but for the next two to three years, when the economy is rebounding slowly from this crisis, there is no need to do so, given our fiscal position, and that would be a positive. Down the road, do I see an increase in the inclusion rate, capital gain? Absolutely, I see that. Do I see an increase in the marginal tax rate? Probably not. I see some increase in property taxes because municipalities are uh, starving when it comes to cash. And I doubt that we will see the wealth tax or even uh, GST, given the implications politically. So there will be some increase in taxation. But given extremely low interest rates, I don't see any scenario, with the exception of a no-vaccine scenario, in which the debt to GDP ratio will rise. In fact, it will go down given extremely low interest rates. One more point. Remember, Paul Martin, when he had to cut, interest payments were rising much faster than GDP. This is not the case now. So yes, taxes and spending will go down. There is no urgency to do so tomorrow. Uh, Benny, another minute or so before we have to go to commercial break, I'd like to get your thoughts on on this notion of a um, uh, a universal basic income. Uh, this is being floated around as a conversation. We get lots of questions about that. Your thoughts about that? Yes. Uh, you know, every crisis is a trend accelerator, and this crisis is no exception. And I think that uh, without even noticing that, we are establishing now the social um, safety net of tomorrow. And in many ways, that's a good thing because the one issue that this uh, crisis has exposed is the rising and huge income inequality in Canada, clearly in the U.S. and other countries. We have to deal with it. 
I don't say universal basic income. Universal means that everybody, everybody, you and me, regardless of your income, get uh, something, a check in the mail, and then you have to start clawing back uh, as uh, your income goes up. It will be more basic income that will be tailored towards people who need it, but you will have some sort of minimum payment. I will not be surprised if this CRB uh, will be uh, translated or changed into some sort of basic income uh, mechanism in which mostly self-employed that cannot get EI money will be able to get some sort of minimum payment uh, along the line that we are seeing in places like Sweden and Denmark. I think we are going this direction. Again, it's not going to be universal basic income. Not everybody will be getting it, but the people who need it probably will get it. So it's really an extension of the CERB, CRB into something more sustainable. I think we are going this direction. Benny, we'll leave it at that. And I want to thank you very much for taking some time with us today. We kept you for an extra segment, and I appreciate that. It's a pleasure. Good luck. We've been joined by Benjamin Tolls, a deputy chief economist at CIBC. Okay, my friend, we've got to make sure that there is a basic income met to support a lifestyle in retirement. That's the goal. Yeah, so how do you build that process so you have income for life while managing all these issues that we were just talking about? And we're going to discuss this strategy to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, September 22nd, 7 p.m., live online. You need to go to our website to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Don't believe what they tell you about retirement. Stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, we talk about retirement being a journey. Yeah. And there's lots of people at different stages. I mean, we've got the, the tail end of the baby boomers getting to that age where they're really going to be moving into retirement. Now, is retirement everything that they've been thinking about? I think that's an interesting question. Um, some say it's a big, fat lie. Some say it's a big, fat lie. Some say those expectations you have in your head may not be met. Right? Let's talk about that. Because I think that is really, um, it's a really interesting stage of life, fraught with all kinds of dreams of grandeur and romance and sometimes it's not that sometimes it's something else yeah fair <laughs> fair uh, Shelley Freilich is uh, is a uh, journalist an author and she's joining us she writes uh, in the 60s column uh, Shelley first of all welcome to the show thank you for taking some time with us thanks so much for having me on and I love the title of your show more than money because really that's what we're talking about aren't we yeah no it's exactly right and and to that point you had a you had a Great title. It caught our attention to an article. It said it was senior living. It said, don't believe what they tell you about retirement. What should people believe? Tell us what we shouldn't believe. Well, my original uh, headline on that, by the way, because I I write my own headlines. um, They change it, which was fine. Was retirement. It's all been a pack of lies. Um, (laughs) Because, of course, I had to get the boomer song uh, title in there, right? Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's an interesting thing. I retired at 63, so almost, well, four and a half years ago. And I had always planned to retire at 65. I, you know, love my job. I worked at the Vancouver Sun newspaper for 40 years, and it was fantastic. But, you know, I had always sort of thought in my head, no, 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 it's 65 you know, you're going to retire. I didn't do a lot of planning, i got to tell you, David Fazale. I didn't do a lot. Um, but I sort of had always, you know, I had a good pension. I knew that. I had, you know, some RSPs. You know, I have a house. Um, but I just thought, okay, it's the next stage of life. And it seemed to make sense to me. But it was very interesting because when I did retire, I took a buyout. So I went a couple of years early. 
um, and was grateful to do that. It was just sort of interesting as I went through the first, you know, couple of years. And I have to tell you, the biggest thing was is that I actually kind of couldn't believe it after, you know, 50 years or so of working, literally waking up every morning and like, I can do nothing today or I can do something today. I don't have a deadline. I don't have a meeting. I don't even have to get dressed. So that took like a year. Seriously, that took like yep. a year or so just to kind of sink in. It was lovely. But it was very strange. It was like, okay, you feel like you're on holidays for the first month. And then it's like, no, actually, I don't have to do a darn thing today. <laughs> and and, and the, other, the other thing that struck me was, you know, I'm a boomer. So I'm right now 67. And I had heard for years and years and years about, you know, pending retirement and the things that you need to prepare for. And one of them was, you're going to need millions of dollars. Well, you know, that's nonsense. You know, you don't. I got some very good advice early on from a friend who said, you know, don't have a lot of debt, maybe buy a new car a couple of years before you retire so it still has a warranty. And, you know, the fact of the matter is you're probably not going to do much different in retirement than you did before you retired. You know, if you weren't a big traveler, you're probably not going to start, you know, hitting hitting the, you know, so the magic piece, you know. <laughs> um, you might, you might. And if you're going to do that, plan ahead for it. But he said, he told me he was a, uh, you know, an investment guy. And he said, look, you probably won't. You know, don't have a lot of debt. You know, unless you're going to make big, big plans to do something differently, you're probably going to be fine. And he was right. He was right about that. So the whole kind of you know, oh, the boomers, especially the boomers. It's like we all have this sort of bucket list. We have to do all this stuff before we die, right? Well, like, no, you don't. You know, you, you don't. Like, you know, if I never make it to Thailand, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? But it's, but it's true. And it's like you've had this sort of weird pressure. I don't know if it's on all generations. I really feel it was on the boomer generation that, you know, you had to accomplish all this stuff. You had to keep working or you had to keep busy. And my brother, who retired a couple of years before me and he's a few years older, said, you know, Shelly, you need to have a purpose when you retire. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what my purpose is? To do nothing. <laughs> so, Shelly, I want to I talk about that because you made, you made an interesting point up front about you didn't go in with a plan, right? Um, yeah. So this was, this was presented to you an option a couple of years before, so not no real plan. And you said... I don't necessarily have anything to do in the morning because I think that can be both a gift and it could be a curse. So Absolutely. I'm really interested in that first one or two years. Faisal and I always talk about that first two-year huh? period the phase, yeah. being the honeymoon phase, right, as you're figuring out what <laughs> retirement means. But I'm yeah. really interested to know, you know, without because you went early, um, talk to me about that not having what, what your brother said. No, there was no necessary purpose. I could just get up and do whatever I wanted. How did that make you feel? What did you do? Was it a gift or a curse for you? Well, certainly a gift. And I think it's interesting how we define purpose. You know, it's the way that male and females define housework. (laughs) (laughs) Two very different things. The guys mow the lawn, the women do everything else. Okay, we can talk about that in another show. But it's it's how you define purpose. And my brother's, you know, he was a a senior executive at a very large company. His idea of purpose was you got to get up and do something meaningful that probably has to do with making something or earning more money or, you know, God bless him, whatever that was. My purpose was get up, you know, spend more time with my mom, Um, go spend time with my grandchildren, you know, maybe read a book, which, by the way, you know, I thought I was going to read the thousand books I have. haven't read one book. Yeah. Just saying. (laughs) I haven't read one book. Um, You know, it it was more, it was more, you know, it really is a yin and a yang thing in many ways, I think. And, you know, my purpose was to get up and just, you know, just not do anything. Revel in the fact I really had nothing to do. And I had earned, I had earned the right to do nothing, right? So, 
you know, I had a routine. I worked at home for years. I wrote a column for the Sun for years, and I would get up and go out, take all my newspapers, real live newspapers, and go have coffee at the local coffee shop. I still did that. So I still had this kind of rhythm to my day. Um, I just didn't have a deadline. I didn't have to file. I didn't have to answer to anybody. And so, you know, a, a gift or a curse, absolutely a gift. And, you know, other people, my friends, some of my friends got part-time jobs. Some of my friends did more volunteering um, when they retired. You know, maybe they maybe they did more exercise. Like, that's the furthest thing from my mind ever. You know, I never, I never thought I was going to get a gym membership, and I didn't, right? So I basically stayed the same, except I didn't have, you know, this job, right? And I think that you need to be prepared for that and not feel bad about it. Like, people say to me, I got so many emails from across, my, my column runs right across the country, right? I got hundreds of emails, and 99.9% were from people saying, oh, thank God, somebody said it out loud. I don't have to feel guilty about not doing anything in my retirement. That's and interesting. And by not doing anything, you know, they could go golfing every day. But yeah. for yeah. them, it was it's like nothing. somebody decides that's not me- a meaningful way to spend your retirement, I guess. Um, but it was interesting. I was actually surprised by that response. That so many people said, this is exactly what happened to me. I had all these plans and I had all the pressure to do stuff. And I really just want to get up and maybe just garden and have a cup of tea. And guess what? I might watch my soap opera. Yeah. Like, just and not feeling bad about that because I think there is a generational pressure. I think uh, you're right, Shelley. Yeah, yeah, go I, th- ahead. I think you're, you're on that point there where there is, if you look at what's on movies, what's on commercials, mm-hmm. the definition of retirement is either you're doing something. You're going somewhere. We all have to sail. Or uh, uh, we sail. All have to sail. Yeah. We have to have our, our <laughs> drinks on the beach. Yeah. We have to golf. <laughs> yeah. Right? And and God forbid that you just do absolutely <laughs> nothing in your home. Right. Uh, you'll never see a commercial. And, and yeah. we're in the yeah. retirement business. I don't think we would ever have a commercial on TV that shows two people just chilling at home having a cup of coffee, and that's what retirement is. Because that's nothing to aspire to because you're already doing it. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, I aspired my whole life and my career, and I did that. And now it's time to not aspire. Somebody should do that commercial. You guys should do that commercial. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I like that. You're right. It's all these commercials. People are stealing. You know, the guys are taking Viagra. It's like this whole, again, I call it kind of this generational pressure. And, I mean, what a great pressure to have. Like, nobody's complaining, right? But... But for those of us who, you know, are okay in retirement, many, many our age aren't. So you have to sort of feel for them. But yeah, I just think that, you know, you got to do, you got to be you, you know, to coin a trite phrase, but, uh, you know, and, and, and not, and not sort of take on all this stuff. I have this conversation with my brother all the time. He'll, you know, he'll phone me and say, what are you doing? I'll say, Randy, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, he, and he'll be, he'll be like, he's just horrified. Like wood, he'll be like in his woodworking shop, making a bed or something. I'm like, what the hell? Just relax. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Shelly, we have to leave it there. Thank you. Entertaining, uh, but I think really informative, too, about the, you know those first four years of retirement, sort of the journey, what you've been through. I hope people are listening to that if they're planning uh, what their retirement's going to look like and free themselves of some of that guilt. Thanks for all your input and a terrific article. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right. We've been uh, joined by Shelly Freilich, who's a journalist, uh, and she writes Life in the 60s column uh, and clearly has lots to say about the uh, the whole process of moving into retirement. What about our seminar? Yeah, this is interesting because when you're transitioning to or living in retirement, what are you transitioning to? Right. But more important, how do you protect all that lifestyle that you want, no matter if it's sitting at home having a cup of coffee or doing whatever you want to do? Right. You just want to make sure that you've got that protection of that income for life 
So we just call it Bulletproof Your Retirement. That's going to be on Tuesday, September 22nd, 7 p.m. Live online. You need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Basil Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Basil Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.